Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories with Village Global. I'm here today with two very special guests, Ilya Sukar of Matrix and Alex Yassin of Parabola. We're here to talk about DevSumer. First, introduce yourselves and how you got into the topic. Ilya? Sure. So I'm a lifelong programmer and my path to startups and investing and kind of the whole ecosystem that we're in is really through programming. And uh, I've always just found uh, amazing leverage and amazing satisfaction in building things for myself and for others. I think in my uh, startup life, most notably, I started a company called Parse, which had, um, I guess, some DevSumer aspects to it before DevSumer was a thing. We were really trying to change the abstraction level for the average mobile developer to give them a platform and tools to express themselves and build great apps without getting into the weeds of reinventing the wheel. And uh, most recently, I've been investing at a firm called Matrix, um, where I've invested in a number of uh, companies uh, that fit this, this world. One of them is Alex and Parabola. Cool. I was wanting to talk about what Parabola is and how you started it. Yeah. So I have kind of a joint finance and uh, computer science background and uh, used to live in the world of strategy consulting, building crazy Excel models and kind of came at this from the side of a lot of, a lot of people kind of already these dev sumers and they don't realize that they're just living in Excel doing this stuff. And so I got pretty passionate about the idea of how do we, how do we level people up, give them Kind of a better, better level of abstraction to work more like an engineer, but, but be not having to be a computer science, uh, you know, background. Currently been working on Parabola where we, we call this a you know, visual programming tool. It's all drag and drop, uh, primarily for sales and marketing operations people. Uh, and it really lets them be self-sufficient and do the types of things that otherwise would be, uh, you know, a software engineer kind of doing something for them and, and all the kind of gross lead time and, and everything that comes with that. Yeah. When do you guys further define what DevSumer is and what led to to its rise? Sure. We might have different definitions. So maybe I'll start. I'm a big fan of simple definitions. And for me, DevSumer is just typically a SaaS offering that makes people, uh, typically knowledge workers, more productive in ways that more resemble um, generalist programming tools than, you know, verticalized uh, SaaS offerings that are specific to their role or to their industry or whatnot. Sure. I guess I like to look at things a lot in analogies. And we have the the prosumer world of photography and, and videography. And you kind of have YouTube where past few years you have these YouTubers who have, you know, 20 million subscriber followings and they're creating this like really crazy high quality content and maybe podcasts actually now start to look somewhat similar. Um, and it's kind of individuals or small teams just way out kicking their coverage and able to able to do kind of massively productive things. Uh, and the DevSumer category is kind of the same thing, but for knowledge work of being able to kind of work with data or build things on top of existing data or just kind of really, really kind of go wild with creativity, uh, build, building things that previously couldn't be created. Yeah, it's about giving people leverage that was was pretty much inaccessible to folks that was not that were not you know engineers themselves or weren't willing to spend the the time and energy to get there. And with Parse, sort of early, you know earlier even pre this category, Ilya, was it obvious that this was going to become become a trend, or what sort of led to led to you know its rise? I'm not sure it was obvious. I think actually for a long time, 
anything that resembled, um, you know, higher level abstraction programming tools was really not in vogue and VCs didn't want to fund it even when we were going through things. I think a few things happened. One is, um, by and large, the productivity tools for knowledge workers have kind of stagnated outside of this trend, right? So you look at the sort of the standard suite. If you're starting a company, what tools do you pick up? Well, you probably pick up either um, G Suite or, um, I guess it's called Office 365 now. And you have, you know, docs, spreadsheets, files. Now, you know, Slack and chat have kind of added to that suite. But by, by and large, that, those, you know, the, that set of things has really been static for like 20 years now. The, the only thing that's happened is we went from client server to the web to mobile. And I think by and large, the, the, pe- the hunger for new productivity tools and the venture dollars and the attention have gone towards companies that have just been carrying those paradigms, those primitives over from all these prior platforms to the newer platforms. I think that's tapped out, right? Mobile is now, I don't know what it is, 11 or 12 years in. There's only so much you can do with those primitives. And I think knowledge workers have absorbed them all. People are comfortable with Slack. People are comfortable with Dropbox. People are comfortable with, you know, the, the cloud tools that they have. And combine that with the proliferation of uh, just the vast amount of SaaS, vertical SaaS things that people are using in their everyday jobs, what we're seeing is, is a hunger for more productivity, right? We're seeing uh, the average knowledge worker thinking, okay, how do I string this all together? Or how do I get more out of this? I can't really be stuck in this world where docs and files and spreadsheets are my only tools to, to get things done. So I think that's a big part of it is now um, a lot of things have solidified. In some ways, they've stagnated. And I think we've seen some breakouts, you know, Airtable, Notion, these kinds of companies, which really started five or six years ago and were not super sexy back then. But the timing has worked out. And I think there's some interesting um, trends that I think Alex has been thinking about a lot of how this ties into like the more broad productivity narrative. If you, if you look maybe 10, 15 years ago, companies were just starting to pull in all their data into one place and, and a lot of data warehouses and data lakes. And there were all these kind of, you know, the enterprise was all about how do I get all that data into one place? And maybe ETL tools kind of were necessary to do all this. Uh, and then maybe five to 10 years ago, companies started saying, Hey, we've invested all of this in, in getting all of this data in one place. How do we do something with it? And so they kind of visualization tools started to be really popular and you had all the BI tools and Tableau and Domo and Looker and, and whatever. And then maybe just the past few years, as kind of Ilya's mentioned with some of these other tools, companies have started realizing we actually need to do something, kind of not just see where our data is, but actually do stuff, take action. Most people today who can do that are software engineers or data scientists. And even like the Googles of the world can't hire enough of those people to do all of that work. Uh, and so somebody else kind of needs to be able, needs to be able to do it. And then I think in parallel, kind of from the, from the individual tooling uh, perspective, Ilya was talking about individuals kind of understand very clearly where they fit on this like, productivity leverage ladder, possibly. So you have uh, low productivity leverage people uh, doing maybe kind of knowledge workers or somewhere in the middle. You have uh, really high productivity leverage people where uh, it's maybe a software engineer or a data scientist is, is a the pretty high extreme. Uh, and people kind of very viscerally and emotionally want to get up to that next level. And so they're kind of starting to realize, hey, like I actually want to be doing more than just uh, using kind of flat files or, or whatever. Yeah, like for a while, we had these SaaS tools, both vertical and sort of the carryovers of the office suite that were leveling people up and people want to keep leveling up. It's just the tools haven't kept them going. Right. And, and so engineers have been evolving and getting better and better abstractions and getting, you know, um, every more productive. Every, yeah. More productive in so many ways. Every few years, there's like a big shift, like react is this, you know, massive movement, for example, 
that hasn't really happened for the average knowledge worker for a long time. And so I think this is the outpouring of that. Yeah. And we talk a lot at Parabola about how a lot of that, that kind of the old school type of tool that, that I was talking about maybe doesn't have the highest belief in like the, the intelligence of the user, the self-sufficiency of the end user. It was, it was designed to make it the tool itself very easy to use and kind of foolproof, um, which has helped get people to the point that they're at now, which is great. Um, and so super valuable that that has happened. But we, we talk a lot about how as those users want to continue increasing their leverage and kind of getting more and more sophisticated, um, we actually believe that there's this deep amount of analytical capability and curiosity and creativity kind of locked away within everyone. And we're just kind of helping everybody realize that actually look, I am this person who can be self-sufficient and I do know what I'm talking about. I just need the ways to express myself in the right way. Zooming out a little bit, how do you guys slice up the DevSumer market? Uh, like if we were to make a mini market map uh, orally, how, w- how would we present a, an image to the listener? I'm generally not a fan of like super detailed market maps. So my conception of this ecosystem is somewhat simplified. I think there are um, a class of companies that are trying to take very high leverage concepts and technologies from the world of engineering and kind of collapse them together with sort of this traditional office suite that I've talked about. So if you look at Airtable, you know, one way to describe it is it's kind of this marriage between uh, a spreadsheet and a database. And, And the fundamental power of it is any everyday person can now use their spreadsheet in uh, a very detailed, programmatic way, extensible way. You can build a bunch of things on top of it. You can have different column types. You can have a million different views. It's just a better um, encapsulation of a lot of what people are already doing in spreadsheets. But spreadsheets were designed for, you know, large-scale calculation, right, for financial modeling, for lots of, you know, actual number crunching, when really what people are using uh, or many people are using them for these days, it's just like organizing data, right? Um, collecting data, filtering data, whatnot. And so I think there's a broad category of companies that are um, just trying to rethink those building blocks. So, you know, Notion, my understanding of it is they've tried to collapse all of those things into one and make, you know, docs, tables, files, all kinds of embeds, sort of these composable blocks that all sit on one canvas. And the canvas is very extensible and, and flowing and really nice to work with. You know, it's to me, it's crazy that like Google Docs still by default has page breaks, right? Like page breaks are a relic of a past life and you can't really intermix those things. So I think um, there's a class of companies like that, you know, Airtable, Notion, Smartsheets, Coda, probably some others that'll come to mind. And then I think there's another category of companies that are trying to be the glue between some of these tools that are trying to compose you know, at a higher level uh, between SaaS tools, between companies, between data types. One way to look at it, I guess, is maybe that prior category is new ways to collect and organize data. And I think what Parabola is doing, uh, what Retool is doing, and what some others are doing is new ways to create and uh, work with logic, right? Actual programmatic things that do stuff with all this data locked up in all these places. Yeah, and I think you can really compare it almost directly to the suite of tools or the types of things engineers do, because that's kind of what we're talking about is bringing those types of things to non-technical people. And uh, if you're an engineer building an app, you need to have a database, you need to have some some way you're going to present all the stuff in, in like a, a view layer, if it's a website, or if it's a mobile app, you need some amount of logic in between that's actually making making stuff happen and kind of like the that's like the secret sauce of like an app is right. It's like how this stuff actually happens in the middle. And so you can break those three pieces apart. And that's each of those kind of categories, I guess, is, is a really interesting opportunity for startups to provide tooling that gives uh, everybody kind of the ability to build those building blocks. And then there's some really cool uh, 
communities and, and websites that are starting to aggregate, hey, how do you take a few of these tools, put them together, and actually, as a marketing person, you can kind of like build a full stack application by stringing a few of these things together. And how should people who are looking to either build companies in the space or invest in the space think about DevSumer products and companies in, in terms of what's emphasized or what's more important here that, that isn't there or what's different? I think to to sufficiently have uh, a non-technical person get dip their toe in the water of doing some of this more technical stuff still requires that teaching them to believe in themselves they can they can kind of think through the stuff and, and actually do it and and so I think over the course of the past 10, 20 years uh, people have really started to develop a bit of a uh, a d- different type of relationship with technology if I get led around to this page like the computer did this thing and it's kind of this anthropomorphized uh, uh, antagonism maybe of, of working with the computer and and so I think to, to the one hand uh, these any company trying to start in the space needs to know that's just a thing and figure out how to either educate consumers to not have that behavior or just just work with it so it, so in parabola we we kind of try to have this very hands-on direct manipulation feel where uh, people can anthropomorphize things and that's fine because it says oh like this step is doing this thing and it actually looks like it's doing that thing and, and that's helpful for people's mental model. Um, and I think kind of on the other hand, to get end users comfortable, you also have a very high product bar and you kind of have to be willing to get a very, maybe almost scary level of polish into your product in order to get people to self-serve and adopt and, and actually kind of invest a few hours of their time in learning how to use the tool. Yeah, I think that part is really key. When I think back to what we were doing at Parse, we were trying to really elevate the abstractions with which, you know, at the end of the day, developers still were, were working with databases and compute and whatnot. And we felt like we one of our advantages was we were able to kind of meet people in the middle where people were expressing higher level desires like, oh, I want a, you know, a login screen on my app, or I want a high scores table in my game, or I want, you know, some way to track something about a user, which is really not how engineers necessarily think about components. And so we were able to build higher level abstractions and meet them in the middle and sort of dress up a bunch of gnarly infrastructure in ways that was accessible to a wider array of engineers. And I think DevSumer takes that to the extreme. And so building a product where, you know, for example, you're exposing a database, but it really looks like a spreadsheet and people don't really need to think about the differences and, you know, all the nitty gritty. It's just really hard. And it's not the kind of thing you can build in, you know, three to six months and just put it out there and people will pick up on it because, these are people who are expressing their needs in very high level ways, right? The type of person who benefits from Airtable or Parabola or whatnot often doesn't really know what they're looking for. And they have to kind of tinker and play around with it and see the leverage to be like, ah, this is amazing. And so the aha moment is very powerful, but it's very hard to achieve. And so I think that the bar for, let's say, an MVP in this world is very high, which I think is a reframing to how I think people thought about startups seven 10 years ago where it's like, yeah, just, you know, raise a little bit of money, get like a very bare bones thing out there. I just don't think that works in this world. How else should startups be thinking about go to market in this space? I think it depends on what of those types of tools you're trying to capture and and what the desired use cases at the end are. So if you are something like a, a retool who is helping the helping companies uh, build these admin dashboards and I don't want to misrepresent their, their, uh, their vision, but you you kind of needed buy-in on a company level to to start using something like that to some extent, and so those go to markets inherently have to be you know getting getting a whole company excited and onboarded with uh, with using a tool. Um, I think there are other categories of tools uh, that I would I would group us in with where 
kind of can be a single player game if it needs to be. And you can get, you can get a lot of value as an individual user using something. And it gets much more interesting as an entire company starts using it. Um, but that can have a bit of a more self-serve bottoms up go to market where you are kind of treating things a little bit more in a consumer perspective of I'm empowering you to have these skills for the first time and you can do this stuff without bothering your developer. And it's, it's kind of a little bit more of an emotional, um, consumerish, I think, uh, go to market in that case. I think one thing I'd add to this is product marketing is super important in this category. And I'm not sure people have quite figured out all the right strategies. Um, the thing to avoid, which I, I do see teams struggle with, is when you get some early users, it can be very tempting to be pulled in the directions they, they want to pull you in because they're going to have some particular use case that happens to have fit your mental model. And to avoid, you know, changing a roadmap in their direction to avoid over-rotating on what they want is really hard because it's, you know, you have early traction, they might be paying you something. But the reality is the power of these tools is how general they are, right? Like Excel is such a general thing and it works in so many different ways and it wouldn't have never gone there if it wasn't so flexible. And so kind of resisting the siren song of your early users being like, oh, this is really great for like pulling my marketing specific data and doing these marketing specific calculations. And so in the case of Parabola, you know, there might, there might be this temptation to build building blocks that are very specific to marketing or to particular use cases. And um, I think a lot of teams struggle with this because you grow through maybe a year or two of not a lot of, you know, inbound interest and you get some pockets of it and there's some momentum and it can be hard to avoid, you know, over-rotating on the ones that seem like a pattern when re the, the real opportunity is to be a general tool. Yeah, we've we've felt that pull very strongly. Um, and I think a lot of credit goes to Ilya and, and kind of our existing team who has been willing to kind of rally around our broader vision to fight that pull. And so the way we have fought that is just really, really laser focusing on the like, if we really hit this general purpose helps a, a user learning parabola gets like a brand new capability that they have kind of now learned and they can apply this to any work that comes their way. Just how an engineer can take a programming language and they know they can solve any problem that comes their way has really, uh, I think, I think been, been a way to rally around that vision and, and avoid getting pulled into the small kind of maybe the local maximums of types of products that we could build along the way. Another interesting way you can look at some of these go-to-markets is, is how you handle some of the monetization components of it. Um, and I think it's, again, very similar to, to code. So there is a GitHub model where you everything is free and you're giving stuff away. And that's really interesting as, as an end user who's creating stuff. There's a version of like uh, companies that, you know, Apple has app stores and like that's a, a whole other model. And there's all kinds of interesting ways of like people who are building stuff have, have monetization. And then the company kind of has to decide how do we want our users to use our tool? And then how does that monetization work? So we could have, uh, we could be charging a, a company kind of like enterprise rates to deploy this within their company. We can have end users who are either, either paying us to then be able to build stuff and possibly sell it. Uh, so other kinds of configurations that are really interesting, but I think the, the space is extremely broad for creativity uh, in, in monetization here, given the surface area of types of, of things that can be built. Yeah. What does the future look like if some of these companies really work? How big can this get? So we obviously get a little on our high horse about how big this can get uh, a parabola, but I think the, the larger narrative I would, I would tell is this productivity leverage spectrum I was talking about really looks like a productivity inequality gap. And you have kind of a, a lot of common narrative at the moment is the income inequality gap. But if you, I personally believe if you redistributed, you know, all the income tomorrow, within a few months, you would start to see it really kind of start separating again. And the problem is it's 
the amount of people in the world who are extremely high leverage and high productivity is very minimal and you can't just buy them with money. And the kind of unfortunate uh, result of that is that your canonical, you know, Google engineer, you know, working whatever hours they work is able to get an extreme order of magnitude of work done versus someone working in a non-technical field could work a lot more hours, work much harder, mean better, um, but just not be able to have the same amount of kind of like economic output. And that really sucks. And, and I think that's really, people find that very unfair on like a personal level. Um, and so I think the opportunity here is how do we get similar to it every other turning point in history of kind of productivity leverages, whether it's the industrial revolution or the agricultural revolution, the new technologies came along that helped everybody else flex up and increase their productivity leverage to meet the people at the top. And I think it's very important that that happened this time rather than getting into this kind of like dual class of like person where one, one small group of people is highly productive and everybody else kind of struggles to keep up. Yeah. It, you know, looping back to kind of our earlier discussion, it would be a shame if we plateaued and sort of the, the leverage that people were getting from technology in their workplaces, whether they're in a very tech enabled ecosystem or they're in a traditional company, it would be a huge shame if, um, you know, that was limited to docs, spreadsheets, chat, whatnot. And I think the opportunity for doing even anything somewhat successful is, is massive, right? You, you look at Slack, right? That's entered this, you know, it's sort of a default component of the sort of starter pack for, for knowledge workers, um, obviously doing amazingly well. So I think even if you, if you get to sort of orders of magnitude of that, you end up with a lot of impact and there's kind of no telling how much room there is in, in the, in the cracks between these things. Um, I had an interesting personal, um, encounter with kind of thinking about this. My wife runs a very non technology focused company, a very traditional company, kind of classic American industrial company. And uh, I was looking over her shoulder the other day and I was like, man, she's using like Microsoft Word 2007, Microsoft Outlook 2007, Microsoft Excel 2007. And I was like, well, like you got to upgrade, you got to upgrade. Like this is ridiculous. And I kind of made fun of her for it. Gave her a hard, look bad. Yeah. Giving her a hard time about it. And then a couple hours later, I was really thinking about it. I was like, you know what? This is a real shame. This is a real opportunity because yes, I mean, they probably should upgrade. It'll be better for their security. It might be cheaper. It'll be certainly easier to maintain. But at the end of the day, if you look at what Microsoft Word, I don't know, 2019 or whatever, like Office 365 that is offered today, it's like, what is that going to do for their company that they couldn't do before? Nothing really, right? It's just going to be a little bit easier to work with. But she does a lot of spreadsheet work. There, there's actually a surprising amount of data in their world, but they don't think about it this way. If somehow their classic American company, you know, the people in their office doing kind of the paperwork and the accounting and the, you know, operations could use a tool like Parabola one day, that's like a whole new class of leverage. My wife's not a programmer. No one in her office is a programmer. They're never going to be programmers. They definitely understand spreadsheets. But what if they could understand these other tools and work in a different way? That's just going to lock a unlock a ton of productivity, and it's going to make our society more productive. That's I, don't, I can't put a dollar figure on it, but I think it's high. And I'd, I'd frame maybe in like one more uh, like thought exercise. If you any any given um, company, if you if you make stuff that you sell at like Home Depot or something, maybe like tools, I don't know. Um, and that company got given twenty engineers from Google to come in and just do anything they wanted to do. 
they could turn into all kinds of interesting things. Um, so many of these kind of interesting direct to consumer companies or, or a lot of the new startups are really just taking existing business models and adding technology to them and having these breakaway successes in, in other categories. And really the only difference is, do I have technical talent and people who understand technology or not at my company? Um, and if all of a sudden every company and every person could kind of have that same experience. Yeah. I, I think we're talking like huge economic, uh, yeah. change. I think the hiring market for engineers is actually like a perfect proxy for thinking about the opportunity here, which is like, yes, technology companies in Silicon Valley have a very hard time competing with Google, Facebook, Apple, whatnot. But imagine the breadth of other companies that could never dream of even thinking about hiring someone with that amount of leverage. How can we give them just some, you know, even fraction of that leverage across their entire knowledge worker population? That's just a huge opportunity. So that's how I think about it. You're zooming out, uh, you know, Ilya, you invested in probably a few years ago and have been excited about this, this category from the beginning. So before it was hot, how is, or probably at least, how is the, the category viewed today uh, by the venture community? And how has that evolved over time? Oh, I've been very surprised by the heat in the last, uh, I guess, even few months. I think the, the, there's just been some breakouts in the category that have changed people's minds about, you know, what's possible here. And so I've been surprised, I guess. It, it, it is getting more popular. I think the... The question is whether that endures, and the question is whether the people who are throwing money at this stuff really understand it. To some extent, I think, like in many engineering-heavy categories, there is a disconnect between what the venture community um, thinks they understand about about these tools and about these products and what what the tools and products really are fundamentally doing and, and where I think they will be going. So that said, I've been surprised. There's a lot of excitement. I would argue some of the interesting kind of macroeconomic trends could, could point to where some of this excitement is coming from, where at risk of, at risk of taking this in too kind of wild of a direction, some of, some of the kind of really unfortunate socioeconomic interactions that happen right now, whether that's rise of kind of interesting versions of populism or other types of things around the world, I think are really fundamentally people realizing I am not at the place on this productivity leverage ladder that I want to be. And and that just kind of feels gross to a lot of people. And are, so are Donald Trump and Dev Sumer more in, related than I thought? Yeah, that's I, I kind of I kind of think actually, right? And 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 Donald Trump or Brexit or kind of any of those types of things are kind of the people who are lower on the on the ladder there saying I shouldn't have to be lower because I'm a valid person too. And that's totally true. I think the solution is of course helping bring those people up rather than pulling everybody down. So we want to be the like good version of how do we solve this problem. Um, but I think in many ways you could actually look at that as a perfect case for why this has heated up. Is it clearly, clearly societally we're like approaching a breaking point where something has to happen. Yeah. Why did we all miss or what did we miss in Notion or Airtable? What did the venture community sort of miss or why was that? Well, I mean, I don't know if they missed, right? There are investors in both companies that are very happy to be those investors. I think, yeah, looping back to kind of what's different about this category, I just think these these products take time, right? It just takes time to build a good enough product that, you know, statistically, the average person who might stumble upon it in any number of ways is going to get that aha moment in, I don't know, the first hour that they use the tool and then stick with it. It just takes a long time to reach that bar. And so I think those products, just like, you know, a lot of things, right, they feel like these massive things that came out of nowhere, but you know, these are five or six year old companies and these guys were toiling away at it. 
The other interesting thing about both of them, at least in my mind, I don't know if other people feel this way, but I find both to be hard to describe in a simple, like, yeah, I was one say, or what, two what, sentence what way. What is the aha moment? Because I don't know what, it, I just love the product, but I, I don't know exactly. what about it. That's a very, like, like I think... I think if you looked back at um, a lot of successful startups in other categories, they're like fairly easy to explain once once they got popular. But I think even today, for me, it's very hard to tell someone, hey, you should try out Airtable, you should try out Notion. It's this, this, and that very quickly, and they're going to get it. Uh, I, I kind of have to like give them a... Um, an almost underwhelming description, which is like, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a database. It's kind of like a spreadsheet. Just like try to organize some of your data. You're going to find something really interesting there or like notion. It's like, well, you know, it's kind of like all the other tools, but it all fits together so nicely. And they have like a lot of craft and they care about this, like feeling of people organizing their own spaces. I don't actually know the team. So I hope I'm not speaking wrongly about their philosophy, but I don't know that the venture community got it wrong, but I don't know that the venture community, foresaw how big these things would be and certainly didn't appreciate how long it would take. So given given it's kind of our business to do so, we definitely dive pretty deep into what is that aha moment and, and how do you deliver that? And, and I think I agree that it's very difficult to describe these tools where a lot of other types of software, there's some like obvious ROI where it's like, hey, use our thing and you can either save a bit of money or you can do a little bit more stuff. And it's like very clear to like make an equation in somebody's head of why I should do this and pay for it. The dopamine, the, the dopamine rush of like kind of what we're building is where the aha moment comes. Uh, and to explain that, uh, when somebody who never was able to build something on their own really, all of a sudden build something that works and they like did, they, they built some, something and then they can just like run it and see, see something happen. I can pull in like three different data sources. I can apply all kinds of interesting logic that previously was in my head and now is like out of my head and I can just take action on its own. And I just built this autonomous like thing that does stuff is this crazy dopamine rush for, for, for people to the point where they'll message us on intercom and just like show us the stuff they're building. Cause they just want to tell somebody about it. And like in a, in a sense, that's not, shouldn't be that surprising. Cause uh, so in the consulting world, I saw this all the time when people would build fun little spreadsheets. So people would make, uh, or maybe they're not fun to anybody other than a consultant, but people would make uh, like spreadsheets to track how they close they were getting status on United or something. And like what the most efficient, like extra flights they could get were to like get platinum status and all the stupid stuff that comes with that. And, and people just get really proud of, of the stuff they're able to build. And it's just such an immediate feedback loop that as soon as you get someone to have that dopamine rush for the first time, that's kind of the aha moment. Yeah. And I think kind of looping back, I think that makes a ton of sense because the thing that I found so addictive about programming, and I think what people who, you know, love programming love about it is this amazing feedback loop. And like you, you like write some code, you compile and suddenly it works when it didn't work before. And now you've like built a thing that will endure and you can kind of very incrementally build on top of it. I think a lot of these tools, the ones that work, they give you that sense pretty early where like you arrange some things or you put some data in here and suddenly like you can view it in a particular way or you can combine two sets of data very quickly. And suddenly you get addicted to this like iterative process that doesn't really exist in other productivity categories, right? When you're just writing a doc, you're not like, oh, cool, I got one sentence. What would it be like to have two sentences, right? It's just like, okay, you know what that's going to feel like having a bit of logic and then thinking, oh, what, what could I add here? That's a, that's a very empowering feeling. Yeah. Said differently, like, what does it feel like to be a creator for the first time? That is just amazing to me. Yeah, for sure. Sort of a closing question. Um, let's pretend that we were all at the same venture fund and, and, f- uh, focus on investing in this category. You're looking f- in the future. Where would we be most excited to, to invest or where would, what would our sort of request for startups be? Where do we want to see people experimenting? What's, where's the next Airtable or Notion or Parabola going to come from? 
with sort of emerging opportunities or white space. If we're here, you know, three years from now, five years from now, what existed at scale that didn't exist today? Interesting. Just to some extent, uh, again, I would point an analogy to the world of programming and tools for software developers. And maybe you could kind of look at new tooling that's new tooling and new levels of abstraction that are available to engineers are what we really want to deliver to consumers like five years later. And so like Ilya was talking about React being really great for, for engineers right now. And you can build really native, awesome feeling websites if you use um, some of the best new JavaScript frameworks. Uh, and, and maybe one interesting opportunity is kind of doing the same thing, but for letting people finally build like real front ends that uh, feel awesome and feel native without having to code. Yeah, I think there's there's probably going to be an interesting confluence of some of these DevSumer tools with the other developer um, world trend of... Um, static site generators and front-end heavy single-page apps. I think both are trying to um, collapse a lot of complexity and push the stack into like one manageable set of abstractions. And so maybe this bleeds over to to, to more dev tools than DevSumer, but I, I would be looking at places that are companies rather that are working on basically what's the next generation Wix, Weebly, Squarespace, whatever. You know, those have obviously been massive successes and there's a bunch of small businesses and companies enabled by the by those products, but fundamentally they're kind of limited, right? And they are uh, not evolving super quickly. Whereas the uh, power available to a real like engineer building everything from scratch is evolving quickly. And so I would look at the confluence of okay, you take Airtable, that's a database. You take Parabola, that's kind of a runtime. Okay, what's the view layer of this stack, right? What is going to let people organize and express their data and their logic to like you know their consumers, so to speak, in creative, powerful ways, you know, maybe combined with React, maybe combined with things like Gatsby. Um, I think there's something interesting there. How should we think about the intersection of DevSumer and DevTools looking out in the future in terms of both of their growth and opportunities? We look at that as, I, th- I think, increasingly overlapping. So uh, if you think of programming languages of having evolved from uh, you know, 30 years ago, you had to like literally have a PhD and understand how to you know, write machine code or something, assembly language, whatever. It was like very, it was, it was kind of very difficult, maybe more than 30 years ago. Uh, and now you have JavaScript and all these fun frameworks and, and you can kind of do a coding bootcamp and actually be productive after three months of learning how to code. We're, we're kind of just laying new levels, of, levels of abstraction on top of that. Parabola, I think, starts to kind of bridge those two worlds where internally our engineers obviously are dog food in the product, but they actually can build something more efficiently in Parabola than they could with code. If I'm, if I'm doing kind of some interesting marketing analysis or trying to, trying to just do like a, a something that's a little more complicated than I could do, you know, ad hoc in what, in Google Analytics. And I need to write a little bit of a script to, uh, map some data and apply a little bit of custom logic. Still way easier to do that in Parabola than to write code, even if I know how to code. And so I think there's an interesting area of, of overlap between dev tools and dev zoomer tools yeah i definitely resonate with that I, I i can still write code pretty easily but there's just a lot of things i, I pick up parabola for that you know before i write a script from scratch so i think one interesting intersection here um, that i've observed over the last you know say five or six years in, in just the pure developer ecosystem is we've moved from a world where rails and other kind of all-encompassing frameworks were uh, were dominant, right? And so you you picked you know Rails or Django or any number of these kind of top to bottom packages of of software and architecture, and you were like, okay, I'm going to do it this way. And it, you know Rails had this omakase concept of like you take it all at once, 
and it's it's a particular way everything works well nicely uh, together to a JavaScript dominant world and JavaScript is amazing and there's been a lot of innovation there a lot of you know React led innovation but um, one thing I find when I dive into programming these days is like I spend a day or two per project just picking the like combinatorial you know, set of tools I'm going to use. And it's really sliced very thinly, right? It's like, you know, you're assembling the sushi like yourself because like you're picking the particular strain of rice, you're picking, you know, you're slicing the fish yourself. You're like, I just want to eat a meal, right? And so to me, this feels like both an advancement and a regression. You know, when I think about what we were trying to do with Parse is like we were trying to build this all-encompassing little universe that was still powerful, but by default worked really nicely together and just kind of steered you along a path of simplicity. And I think the last five or six years of, of dev tools have exploded complexity. They're, they're very powerful abstractions, but they've kind of exploded complexity. And I think DevSumer might be um, might be kind of a counterbalancing factor to it, which is we're suddenly going to have all of these nice, um, you know, consumery tools that developers might see the power of and realize, okay, for a lot of tasks, maybe I should just pick up one of those, or maybe my developer tools need to be a little bit simpler, a little bit less burdensome for the user in terms of the mental overhead of just getting started, right? I think dev tools exist on the spectrum of power and simplicity, as well as like how much of that is upfront versus enduring. And I think we're in a kind of a weird place from my perspective right now with dev tools, and maybe DevSumer will be a, you know, a, a, a force that will pull things in a better direction from my perspective. I think we we really resonate strongly with this. Where uh, if you're if you're thinking about learning how to code, or you just have learned how to code, you should be able to be really productive with a small amount of of kind of learning. There, you shouldn't have to spend four years working at a tech company every week, spending twenty percent of your time kind of overhead, just staying fresh on all the latest changes and updates, and kind of as early as describing like becoming like a sushi chef, uh, like a home cook should be able to do a lot of stuff as well. And, and maybe there's still a world for sushi chefs. You still want like the, the high end experience occasionally, but it's great to be able to be kind of productive without, with, without kind of always having to go to this far extreme elite version. Yeah. This has been Ilya Sukar of Matrix and Alex Yassin of Parabola. Uh, guys, it's been a fantastic episode. Thank you for coming to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, that was so much you. fun. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst. 